All right, if you would take your Bible, please, this morning and turn with me to the Old Testament book of the Song of Solomon, Song of Solomon chapter number one, and we're going to begin reading in verse number one today, Song of Solomon chapter number one and verse number one, and it is so fitting that we uh, are studying this, this great Old Testament book as we lead up towards Valentine's Day, which is tomorrow, guys, if you didn't know, you better get on it, um, because the book of the Song of Solomon is a book that is all about sex, romance, marriage, intimacy, and all the ins and outs of married life. But you may be here wondering today, after we just had this incredible time of worship and after we were just reminded of the deep truths of the gospel of Christ, why in the world would we take time on a Sunday morning to study the book of the Song of Solomon? I mean, we were singing that song a minute ago, Glorious Day, and the thought occurred to me, man, you could feel the Spirit of God moving, the thought occurred to me, hey, this would just be a good place to go to heaven from. Just, just step out of this world, and, and now we're going to talk about this stuff? So why, why do this? Why is this a good idea? Well, I don't know that it is, but why, why do this? Well, let me answer that question if you're wondering about that. Let me a- answer that question with a question, or uh, maybe an informal poll. How many of you today are here and you are married? Would you raise your hand? All right. Keep, keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. How, how many of you are here today and you're not married yet, but you'd like to be one day? Oh, no, keep them up if you are married. Maybe I'm not being clear. If you're not married and you want to be married. All right. And, and without getting too personal, how many of you have been married before, and maybe would like to be married again. Well, that was a little tough, wasn't it? All right, so if you look around, you can see that marriage, romance, human sexuality, you can put your hands down. Those things, those things affect every single one of us in some way. Because we are people that fall in love. We are people that fall out of love. We are people that fight with our spouses. We are people that get divorced. We are people that struggle to maintain passion over the decades of marriage. And what the book of the Song of Solomon does is it confronts us with a love that is stronger than death from Song of Solomon chapter 8 and verse number 6. And that's the kind of love that I think in the end all of us want. It's the kind of love that we desire and the kind of love that we were made for. A love that will endure no matter what life throws at it. A marriage and a relationship that will endure no matter what the world throws at it through the challenges of old age or of sickness and of raising children. We want to have this love where nothing can shake us. And yet we have no idea how to get there, do we? We are all but helpless and we need wisdom and we need help. But before we can figure out the ins and outs of married life, before you can figure out all of, of the romantic stuff, and before you can figure out the long-term growing old together stuff, you got to find somebody to marry you. you just got to find somebody you can con into spending the rest of your life with you, right? You've got to get together. You've got to get together. And in the text we're going to read today, I think that's exactly what we see, at least some lessons that will help us as we think about Getting together in romantic relationships for those that aren't married yet or aren't married yet again. Let me read from Song of Solomon chapter 1, and we're going to read into chapter 2 today. 
the song of songs which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant, your name is oil poured out, therefore virgins love you. Draw me after you, let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. I am very dark. This is her talking. I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? Then he speaks, if you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock, pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. It may not look like it to you, but they're flirting with each other here, with each other here is what they're doing, okay? It's all very agrarian. But I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with a string of jewels. We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. While the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyard of Engedi. He speaks, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. She speaks, Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green, the beams of our house are cedar, our rafters are pine. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. As a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sit in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins. Guys, if you're looking for that last minute Valentine's thing. Refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love, or I'm, I'm lovesick. His left hand is under my head, his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, she says to her friends, O daughters of Jerusalem, buy the gazelles or the does of the field that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord abideth forever. So when we read the Song of Solomon, there are a lot of things that we probably need to kind of keep in our minds at once. There's a lot of things that we have to just, just keep in mind and, and hold in front of us. We have to understand that, that at its simplest, the Song of Solomon is divinely inspired erotic poetry. That's what this book is. But this book is also, to some people, a picture of the love that God has for His people and the love that they should have for Him. It is literature. It is... A 3,000-year-old love letter or series of love letters. But above everything else, it is the Word of God to the people of God. And it's written in some way for our benefit. Uh, this book primarily, should I think, should be interpreted as wisdom literature. Now, what that means is, of course, I hope you know that the Bible is not one book. The Bible is really 66 books that make up one greater story of God's work to save His people for His glory. And in the Bible, there are all kinds of different genres of literature. There is 
uh, law, which is the revelation of God's character and expectations for His people. There is history, that is the record of God's saving deliverances of His people. There's even prophecy where God declares the future of His people. And you have the wisdom literature, like Song of Solomon, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, that are written so that God's people know how to live in God's world. How do I live as a married man... How do you live as a married woman? How do you live as a husband or a wife or an aspiring husband or wife? How do you live and navigate the minefield of romantic relationships without blowing yourself to pieces? That's a big part of what the Song of Solomon is designed to help you do. It is wisdom. And wisdom is not the same thing as knowledge. It's not the same thing as having an education. Just to put it in the terms of of Song of Solomon... You can get knowledge in an 8th grade health class. But that's not wisdom. You need wisdom that you can only get as an outworking of your understanding of God and His person and His expectation. And underneath everything in Song of Solomon, that's exactly what we see. And I'm going to tell you, it's exactly what we need. Because when it comes to romance, when it comes to intimacy, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to human sexuality, y'all, we are dumber and day old dirt. We are uninformed, misinformed, ill-informed, deceived, confused. I about said diseased. Deceived, confused. We are a mess. And if you don't believe that we are a mess, ask your wife. She'll tell you exactly how clueless you are. And so the Song of Solomon is a gift from God to help us figure all this marriage stuff out as This couple explores their romance, explores their desires, uh, consummates their marriage, and grows into their loving relationship for one another. And primarily, they are living out the ideal that God has designed for marriage, that a man and a woman come together, and in every level, they are naked and not ashamed. We talked about that uh, in this book last Sunday morning. But, before you get naked, and if you're not going to be ashamed, you've got to get married. And before you get married, you've got to find somebody who will take you. You've got to find somebody who will have you. You've got to find somebody who can stand the thought of living with you for 50 plus years. That's not a small thing, is it? That's not an easy thing to do. That's a difficult thing. And there are some of you that don't realize, and I may just primarily preach to this section of the church today, but I've got to pastor them too. Y'all understand that, right? That, that wasn't a joke. Y'all don't realize this. But y'all, some of y'all are five or ten years away from being married and having children, which means some of y'all are five or ten years away from having an empty house and being a grandparent. How do we navigate? How do we navigate romantic relationships? Well, unfortunately, even the Bible itself is honest enough to tell us that it's not easy. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, you find this great verse in Proverbs chapter thirty and verse number eighteen. That, that the writer asks, he says, there are four things I just don't understand. He says, I don't understand the way a ship floats on the ocean, which is weird. You can throw a rock in the ocean and it sinks, but you can put, you know, an aircraft carrier on it and it floats. I don't understand, he says, how an eagle flies through the air. I, I don't understand all these things. And he says, he culminates with saying, I don't understand the way of a man with a maiden. People get stupid when they fall in love. It doesn't make sense. Sometimes people fall in love in the most incredibly romantic, Cinderella, serendipitous type love stories. And sometimes people just meet in biology class in high school like my parents did. And then they just get together and stay together. How does it work? 
And what does God expect of us? That's the questions that the Song of Solomon is going to bring to light today as it shows us that, frankly, navigating, navigating romantic relationships before you're married is like walking through a minefield where there is, on the one hand, just unbelievable desire, but there are also unparalleled dangers. And I feel like this book puts upon me the burden of, uh, of being honest with you and telling you about that desire and those dangers. So let's talk about the unbelievable desire that is expressed here in the book of the Song of Solomon. This woman, beginning in verse number 2, who speaks, the bride, probably the bride-to-be at this point, this is a woman who is head over heels in love with a man. I don't understand why anybody falls in love with a man, but she's gone, all right? She's, she just, she's long gone. She wants to be kissed by him. She wants to be desired from him. And desired by him, she wants to be drunk on his love. And it just, it just gets way, way worse from there. You wouldn't believe some of the things she actually says. But in a remarkable way, this expression of desire from this lady about her husband or her husband-to-be, this helps affirm the goodness of romance, love, marriage, and even human sexuality. And it says to those that aren't married yet, and to some degree to those that already are married, it says that love and marriage and sex, those things are not sinful. I hope you don't think your marriage is sinful. Good gracious. Those things are God's idea. Those are God's design. They are God's ideal. And for most people, it is God's plan for them to be married. For most people, they're going to participate in this kind of romantic experience. And I think if you are here today and you're not married yet, one of the most important things you can do is you plan for your future and you think about who is she or who is he. One of the most important things that you can do is make sure that the person you want to get together with has the same understanding of marriage that you do. Do they see it as a gift given from God? Do they see it as something designed by God? given to us for our good and ultimately for His glory? Do they understand that Genesis chapter 2, naked and not ashamed stuff? That would be a great question to ask on your first date. Do they realize that, that, that marriage for God's people is supposed to be an opportunity where we show and enjoy the love of the gospel that Christ has shown for us? Say, well, Brother Jesse, I've been dating these people and I never have asked them that. Stop dating them until you're ready to ask them that. Because these are the kind of questions that are going to form the very fabric of your relationships. All you've thought about is the truck he drives, and all you've thought about is the clothes that she wears. I get it. I get it. But if you are going to make it the long distance with somebody for 50 or 60 years, you have to have the right foundational understanding of marriage. And so they, they, they have the right idea about marriage. She desires. She knows that's a good gift from God. Even though it's not disordered, it's not flipped on its head. We'll talk about that a little bit later. It's going to get really weird in a little while. But why are they attracted to each other? Why is she drawn to him and why is he drawn to her? What is it that makes somebody attractive? Well, part of that's just subjective, isn't it? Beauty really is, in a lot of ways, in the eye of the beholder. And so I'm not going to deal with the physical aspects of their relationship as much. But I do want to point out to you in verses 5 through 7, and this is important, and young ladies, you need to hear this if you're not married. He does make her feel beautiful. He makes her feel beautiful. She makes this statement that she is dark but lovely. She kind of has some weird body image, self-image issues because this woman, by her own description, apparently would have been incredibly unattractive in her own day. And she would have been unattractive because she was probably too tanned and too thin. 
I know. But in the world of the Bible, in the world of the Bible, if you were rich, you had plenty of food to eat and you didn't work outside. Other people did the work, which meant you laid around and you just, you know, got heavy and got pale. And that, that was beautiful. That was beautiful. And so for this woman who's working outside, whose body is, you know, athletic and who has been uh, kissed by the sun and she's tan, most people look at her and say, "Eh, no, thank you. But she also says, I am dark but lovely. She knows, she knows that he's drawn to her and that he's attracted to her and he's communicating all throughout this book, he's communicating to her in such a way that builds up her image of herself. So to our young ladies, I want to say this to you. You don't have to put up with a guy who's mean to you. You don't have to put up with a guy who makes you feel bad. You don't have to put up with a guy who treats you poorly, who wants to take advantage of you. You don't have to put up with it. You just don't need to put up with somebody who makes you feel bad about yourself. Somebody who makes you feel stupid. Somebody who disrespects you. Somebody who talks poorly to you. You don't need him. You don't. Guys, the same principle applies to you in some way. If you're not married to her, you don't have to put up with temper tantrums. You don't. Because before you get married, she's auditioning for your wife, not your toddler. All right? This woman was a woman who worked. This woman worked hard. This woman was responsible. And this was a woman who was mature. Those things are important as a foundation for relationships. But she also says um, in verse number 3, when she says about him, your name is all poured out, she's saying he has a good reputation. What do other people say about him? What do other people say about her? If you're crushing on somebody at school right now, it's a good question to ask. Do your teachers appreciate their effort? Do your coaches, do their coaches appreciate their heart? Do they have a job? Does their employer appreciate their work ethic? Do they have a good reputation? And as she talks, it's important to see You can see in verse number 4 that this woman is not experiencing all these romantic desires in isolation, but she's part of other relationships. Because in verse 4, she talks to somebody who is not the husband. She's not talking to herself. She's talking to her friends. Verse 4, we will will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. She's in a group of ladies, a group of people who are talking with her about this man. So, yes, she wants him. He evidently wants her. They want to get together. And yet... She has not destroyed every other relationship in her life to pursue her relationship with this man. And what happens so many times for people when they first start feeling, you know, all those romantic urges and they start having their first crush and their first boyfriend, girlfriend, they start dating and all this stuff, they think that they have to sacrifice everything in life to be with that person and to make their world revolve around that person. When in reality, God has given you parents, God has given you a church family. God has given you, I hope, some godly friends and some people who can disciple you and mentor you. And you do not, you do not need to approach a romantic relationship when you're 15 or 16 years old and think, man, this is my opportunity to destroy my relationship with my mom and dad. And this is my opportunity to break away from church because I've got to be with her all of the time. I'm going to tell you something. That is foolish. That is foolish. In fact, I'll say it to you this way. Maybe this will be plain enough for us. Ladies, if you have a daddy who loves you, and I hope you do, if you have a daddy who loves you, and for 15, 16, 17 years, he's made sure that you have food to eat every single day of your life, 
And he has made sure that you've had a warm and a dry house to sleep in every single night of your life. And if your daddy, even as imperfect as he might be, if your daddy loves Jesus and he tries to point you towards Jesus, if your daddy says that Tristan out in the driveway in his yeet yeet boy truck honking the horn trying to get you to come out, if he says that Tristan is an idiot, he's an idiot. (laughs) Consider the relationships that you have. The relationships God has given you now, they matter as new relationships develop. But this points to something even deeper and even more uh, crucial in the Song of Solomon and in our lives too. Because she is pursuing romance in community with other people, this is a woman who wants to be loved, loves being loved, loves love, but she does not believe that love is the ultimate and the highest and the greatest and the most important good. So what many of us have done is we have believed the lie that's pushed on us by our culture, by our surroundings, that being loved, being wanted, experiencing sexuality, that that is the most important thing in the world. That, 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 that finding your identity and finding your value and finding your security and finding true happiness, that comes by finding some guy to love you. Or it comes by finding some girl to go to bed with you. That's ultimate. That's ultimate. Friends, what the Bible says to us is that marriage is a gift from God. Sex is a gift from God. Romance is a gift from God. And they are terrible substitutes for God. And when we put those things above God, they will destroy us. Because it becomes an idol. And all an idol can ever do is demand sacrifice and offer nothing in return. And that's what happens in many romantic relationships. See, This woman has not made this man her God. And he has not made her his God. They are pursuing God. And as they pursue God, they run into one another. And then let the games begin. The best piece of dating advice I can give you, and I'm going to give you some more in a little bit, um, is the way to find your spouse is to quit looking for them. Just quit trying to find them. Pursue Jesus. And when you're running after Jesus and you run into some guy or some girl who's running after Jesus, y'all run after Jesus together. Don't put all this other stuff in front of him and destroy your life. Destroy your life by making it to where romance, sex, and marriage become your God. Now I know, I know when you're a teenager especially, I know that's a hard thing to think about and a hard thing to hear because when you see those jeans she's wearing, just, you know. I know that, that when you see that guy and he's got those three hairs sticking out of his chin, you think, this is a real man who loves me. Everybody's laughing but the teenagers. You know why? Because we used to be y'all. We did. That person may be a good gift to you from God. May even be a lifelong companion. But that person is not your Savior. That person is not your Lord. Jesus is your Savior. He is your Lord. Pursue Him. There is unbelievable desire in this passage. But there are also some unparalleled dangers. Now, she's talking about a lot of good stuff. She's talking about a lot of fun stuff. 
in this passage of Scripture. But being at the very last verse we read today in Song of Solomon chapter 2, and verse 7, she says this to her group of friends. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the doves of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases, until the right time. She recognizes that she needs help navigating the difficulties of romance and sexual desire and intimacy and all the emotions. She needs help because she recognizes what the Bible teaches us over and over and over again. That sexual desire released at the wrong time, the wrong way, can destroy you. And emotional attachment, infatuation, confused with love can confuse you and upend your life. The book of Proverbs in chapter number 7 talks about this. In Proverbs chapter 7, the Bible gives counsel from a father to a son. It says, let not your heart turn aside to her ways. It says, she will seduce you, but you are like an ox, verse 22, going to the slaughter or as a stag that is caught fast until an arrow pierces its liver. The writer of Proverbs liked to to bow hunt. And he said, boy, you don't realize it, but that girl you're chasing, she's going to put an arrow in your liver. And you are going to fall down and bleed to death in misery because you have unleashed sexual desire and romance at the wrong time and in the wrong way. The intimacy that we were made for, that we do desire, that we long for, that can only occur in the context of marriage. God designed marriage so that Adam and Eve could be together and be naked and not ashamed. You can be naked together and not married. You can. But you can't be naked and not ashamed together and not married. Because when we engage in sexual activity outside of or before marriage, there is a cruel twisting of the whole purpose of human sexuality that brings shame and it brings guilt. You see, human sexuality... I know this is the kind of thing you love hearing your pastor talk about, but human sexuality... Intimacy between a man and a wife. That physical act is a picture of the greater relationship. Where sexuality is a a mingling of pleasures. Where the two partners are, are together and they're saying, in effect, I derive pleasure by giving you pleasure. And I experience pleasure as you enjoy pleasure. But when you engage in sexuality, in sexual behaviors, outside of marriage then what you are doing is you are subordinating God's design and you are subverting your partner's desires to your own. And all of a sudden, sex is no longer about we. It's about me. And when sex is twisted and when sex is confused and it becomes all about your desire, it can never be what God designed it to be. And it will always be destructive. Fornication, Sexual sin, pornography, those things are dangerous. They are dangerous to you. And you say, well, Brother Jesse, can you be specific? I can be, but I don't want to be. I'll just say it this way. Any activity that arouses sexual desire in you for someone you're not married to, any activity that arouses sexual desire for you in someone you're not married to, that's sin. That's sin. It's hard to believe that just a generation or two ago, Baptist preachers could preach about fornication and get away with it. But now, now it's almost assumed. Cohabitation is assumed. 
it's assumed that people live together. Members of the church just live together before they get married. Uh, people sleep together before they get married. Don't think anything at all about it. We think it's just ordinary and it's just routine. But according to the Word of God, it's not ordinary. It's not routine. It's dangerous and it's damaging. So guys, I want you to listen to me specifically. Guys who, men, boys, whatever y'all are. You just dudes. Dudes who aren't married. Little, brother, little brothers in the Lord, listen to me. You want to have sex. I get it. You're made to. It's part of the deal of being a man. But you were also made as a man. You were made to lead. You were made to lead a wife towards Jesus. You were made to pursue her, not consume her. And there's something crazy that happens inside the mind of a guy when he's attracted to a girl. You smell her hair for the first time and you lose 100 IQ points. All right? Guys, do not become a slave to your desires. Do not become a slave to her desires. If you read the book of the Song of Solomon a couple times in this passage and on and on and on, this couple compares love and intimacy, they compare it to wine. There's several reasons for that, but the most obvious reason is that if you drink enough of it, it'll get you drunk. And they're saying it's a beautiful idea in marriage, right? I'm, I'm, I'm drunk on your love. I'm intoxicated with you. That's wonderful. But if you consume that in the wrong way, at the wrong time, in the wrong place, what's dangerous, like wine is dangerous. Drink a box of Boone's Farm and get behind, you know, a cement truck. That's not going to be good. And that's exactly what we're doing when we engage in sex outside of marriage. And what happens when we give in to that is all of a sudden, that girl you're with, she's going to have great shame that comes with your sexual activity. She's going to wonder, even if you marry her and you're together for years and years, she's going to wonder, is he just using my body? What's happened? You brought shame into a place where there should be no shame. See, what you hear today, to those of you that aren't married, what, what, what you're hearing today is, is just your preacher ranting against everything fun that you want to do and all your friends are doing. I get that, I know. But what you're not going to hear is what you're not, what, not, what you're not going to hear is, is the amount of people that have shame and guilt and regret specifically related to things they did before they got married. As we were singing a moment ago about Jesus taking our sins and justifying us through his death and resurrection, for many of us, the message of the gospel and the message of forgiveness means so much to us because of these kind of sins in our past. These are the sins Jesus has forgiven us of. And these are the sins we do not want you to fall into because we do not want you carrying that insecurity. We do not want you carrying that guilt. We do not want you carrying that shame. We do not want you feeling exposed and unloved. And when you engage in sex outside of marriage, it totally inverts the dynamics. Totally inverts the dynamics. And it says it's all about me and not about us. And she's going to wonder, can he control himself? Can I trust him to prepare a budget if he couldn't control himself with me in the backseat of a car? Say, so I didn't think about that. I know you didn't think about it. That's why we have the book of the Song of Solomon. Can I trust him to be a father? Can I really trust him when he clearly has no discipline? Girls, for you as much as I... No, which is not much about girls. Your tendency is going to be probably to collapse sex and romance into one messy sandwich. And for you, sex will be a tool that you can use to get 
boys to pay attention to you, to love you, to make you feel valuable and to feel important and to feel attractive. But there are ladies in the church here today who could tell you about the shame and the guilt and the baggage that you will carry for the rest of your life. When desire is awakened early. So I want Brother Anthony, if you would, to come down here for a second. I want him to help me in, uh, in making this, I hope, real to you. I thought today, who can I embarrass in church really, really good? So that I'm not the only person embarrassed talking about this stuff up here. So Anthony's going to finish the sermon, brother. Appreciate it. No. When we engage in human sexuality, when we engage in sexual activity before marriage, outside of marriage, it inverts the order. It makes sex not about us, but about me. And it creates shame where there should be no shame. And it makes us carry an incredible amount of baggage. Some of y'all, by the grace of God, you have no sexual baggage today. Wouldn't that be something to be 13 or 14 years old again and have no sexual baggage? By God's grace, some of you are there. You can stay there with the Lord's help. Others of you have, have baggage that, that may be a little bit lighter, but you're still carrying it. Others of y'all have truckloads of it. What I want to tell you today is God does not want you carrying that. He doesn't want you to pick it up. And he doesn't want you to walk with it. So, Anthony. Anthony is a great encourager. Anthony encourages me. Anthony's a runner. And I needed somebody who was in good shape to do this. And so Anthony is going to be our prototypical human being. He is, <laughs> he is the prototype. If you, you need to stretch, man. There you go. Okay. So Anthony. <laughs> yeah, you want to dig deep. Anthony. I want you to take a look. We're not having a garage sale today. We're not catching a flight in a little, while, a little while. This is your sexual baggage. This is your imagined sexual history. So, Anthony, I'll give you this one first. This one's heavy. Oh. There's a pornography you've watched over the years. I tell you what, this one's pretty light, all right? That's that girl in Australia you met online and fell in love with for two weeks, okay? You can put that on. That's freshman year. I'll zip it up. We don't want that sexual history falling out all over the church. That's your first fiance. You got to carry it, buddy. I don't even know what that one is. All right, now, with all your baggage, with all your history, I want you to go give Shanda a hug and a kiss, man, because she's your wife and I love you. Don't fall. Don't drop it. So it's almost like y'all can't get close to one another. Unless some of this comes off. Right? Now, to make the illustration really work, Anthony would have to carry this the rest of his life. Unless there was somebody who could take it from him. 
And what the gospel tells us is that Jesus takes this from Anthony and takes it. I don't remember which one's which here. <laughs> you can lay it down, man. He's winded. Are you okay? Okay. And he takes, he takes the freshman year and he takes the porn addiction and he takes the fiance and he takes the weird thing with the girl from Australia, which that's based on a true story, not mine, but it is based on a true story. And he says, you can bring it to me. And he says, you can lay it down, and it can be buried, and it can be gone forever. When you read the message of Scripture, you find God creates Adam and Eve in the garden. He makes them naked and not ashamed. They sin, they realize they're naked. Why do they realize they're naked? I never realized this until this week. How do they not know they were naked before they sinned? You know why? Because before they sinned, their eyes were not on themselves. It was on the other. But as soon as they sinned, what happened? Everything became all about me. And the reason we fall into sexual sin is because everything's all about us. And then we have all this baggage and all this guilt, this insecurity, this regret, this junk that we have to carry, that we carry into other relationships with us. But the Lord comes to Adam after he sins. And what does God do for him? God clothed him. God covered him up. And he said, Adam, I'm going to give you a new start in my grace. And what I would want you to hear today, if you're not married is this. There is a new start in Jesus. No matter how much junk you've got to carry, whether it's a lot or whether it's just a little bit, whether it's a bag or two, or whether it's a weight that's crushing you, whether it's pornography, whether it's sexual activity with people online or with people that you know are actually real, you can lay all of that down today at Jesus. That's why He came, is to save from that kind of sin. So, Brother Jesse, I don't know about that. I don't know if he can forgive me my sins. Listen, read the Gospels. Jesus was hanging around with prostitutes. He was hanging around people that were defiled and that were nasty. And he was saying to them, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. But on the other hand today, on the other hand, Jesus don't want you all to carry that. And the best way not to carry it is not to pick it up. So that you don't have to deal with that. So that you don't have to carry it. You don't have to go back and say, I wish I would have never met that guy. I wish I would have never been in that situation. Church, I'm going to tell you, I wish that I had never encouraged one of my buddies in elementary school to steal his brother's Playboy magazine. I wish that never happened. Some of you carry this baggage and you carry this guilt. Jesus can take it from you. But if you don't, you don't have to carry it. You don't have to carry it. If you pursue the one who wants to take it from you and take it for you, love him, the rest of it will take care of itself. Now, I know, I'm going to be just frank with our our, our younger crowd for just a moment, so forgive me if this offends you. I know that you think right now that falling in love and having sex is the most important, greatest thing, most incredible thing that could ever happen to you. You've never done it, but you think, man, this this has got to be the best thing. This is what life is all about, guys. Ladies, I'm going to tell y'all this. I'm going to tell y'all this. There's more joy in Jesus. There's more joy in Jesus than there is what you can do in freshman year of college. There's more joy in Him. Pursue Him. And so, let me give you some advice and we'll finish. First of all, pursue God and not, not a spouse. Love Jesus. And don't settle for anybody until you find somebody who loves Jesus more than they love you. Do not settle for anybody until you find somebody who loves Jesus more than they love you. Second, lean into the relationships you have. You have a good youth pastor. 
who has a great wife. You have good parents, I hope. Godly grandparents. If not, me and Amy will adopt you. And, and we'll set you straight. Third. Third. Forget trying to hook up with people. And I don't mean just the physical part of that. But just the idea of dating. It's just really dumb. Just forget trying to hook up and look to settle down. What I mean is don't date somebody you wouldn't marry. Don't, now I know you've got to figure that out. You've got to you know, go to Applebee's and all that stuff and, and figure out if, if... I get the screening process. I know. But don't waste your time dating somebody that you wouldn't marry. Number four, bring this junk to Jesus. Five, pray for your spouse now. Not just, God, send him, God, send him, God, I want to meet him, God, I want to get to know her. Praying for God to develop him, praying for God to develop her, praying for God to give you wisdom, and praying for God to give you discernment. And to our parents of teenagers that are here today, I hope you have a really, really hard conversation at lunch today. I hope you're not outsourcing discipleship to whoever may be willing to do it, whether it's somebody on social media or somebody in, you know, the bathroom at school. I hope you're talking to your children about these kind of things because they need it. Don't you remember you needed it? They're navigating a minefield that's going to destroy them, and God has given them you. And many of you do carry scars, and you do carry baggage, and you think, well, because of that, I I can't say. No, you can. You can be honest with them and look at them, and you can say, look, I've made mistakes. I've done things with girls before I met your mom that I regret, that I wish I could undo that I wish I could go back. I can't, but you can miss it. You don't have to carry that baggage Brother Jesse was talking about today. And if you are a parent, don't encourage the, 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 the foolish dating habit that kids today have. Don't push them towards that. That's just dumb. Don't let your kids be alone in your house. Your teenage daughter don't have any business taking a nap in her bed with her boyfriend at your house. Thank you, brother. Say, well, I I just know there's no reason for it. Why would you encourage your child's sin in any area? And so parents, the burden for much of this is on you to say to your children, look, I love you and I don't want you to step on the same landmines I did. And to help them and to teach them and to disciple them. So today we're going to have an invitation. It would be good for some of you that aren't married to come and say, Lord, Please keep me pure and keep me sane until I can meet my spouse. Help me to navigate these dangers safely and effectively. For others of you, you just need to come and you need to say, Lord, I feel dirty. I feel unclean. I feel like I'm carrying all this baggage, but Lord, I want you to take it from me. For others of you, you've been married for a long time and your baggage is way back before you met your spouse years and years and years ago. Look, that's the stuff he died to take away from you. That's the nakedness and the shame that he wants to cover in his righteousness. He forgives that he's gracious.